everybody welcome into to the point podcast hope you're all doing well on this thursday what a beautiful thursday it is feels like summer today just phenomenal it makes you feel better you know it's october we're almost midway through the month of october you get a 20 degree day you can't only thing be better if it was was like this all the time lived in miami which of course is a dream of mine but we can't have everything all at once. I'm 24. I guess I'll have to wait. I'll have to wait to have all that success but and live in a warm climate. But something we can celebrate. Well, number one, I can celebrate that I have internet. Today, I was doing, or yesterday, pardon me, I was doing a show and my internet cut out. About 24 minutes into the show, I was on a great all-time rant about the amount of serial killer shows in the atmosphere right now on the platforms that's on facebook if you want to go watch that video there's a video of me going on about 20 minutes about how there are too many shows involving serial killers about ted bundy and all these other guys i don't want to go back into it it was really a rant about the dahmer show so that's that's up there some of my best work honestly really thought about it really deep 20 20 minutes of just really great thoughts so that that's on yesterday until my internet abruptly cut out and I couldn't get into any of these sports from the night before. But it is Thursday. Wednesday has hence has hence, has hence passed us and we are here with internet and we're going to talk about sports today. It's a jam-packed show today because I have a lot to say. I have a lot to get into. I didn't get to get into winners and losers of NFL week 5. We're doing that today. I didn't get to talk about the Rangers on opening night of the NHL season. I'm talking about that today. Thoughts, Buffalo Sabres, Don Granado, getting into that today. Previewing Thursday night football. Phillies Braves, Kershaw start last night. We'll get into that. And also just more Major League Baseball playoff thoughts because honestly the past couple nights have been fantastic. Way to go, baseball. It is a different sport when you get into October. Just is. 162, that's a slog. When you have games every other night and they mean everything, pitch by pitch, I buy in. Just news and notes from the day. If you're not aware, the game this evening, which was scheduled for 9.30, uh, Yankees-Guardians has been postponed. Rain out in New York. That will be tomorrow afternoon. Game two is now tomorrow afternoon, no longer tonight at 9.30. So 2, 2.07, first pitch tomorrow, Shane Bieber, Nestor Cortez. Game three goes Saturday. So they have to travel after the game, head to Cleveland. And this is how it works for all these series. National League games, both series are 1-1. Padres beating the Dodgers last night, the Bravos tying the series with the Philadelphia Phillies. If those series go five, they will be back in the first location the day after game four. So here's how it goes. National League tomorrow, game three in in Philly. Game three in San Diego. Game four, the next in the same location. If it goes game five, game five is Sunday. That means teams travel the day of the game five or the night before, if you will. So back-to-back on on an elimination-type winner-go-home day for the Yankees and Guardians, if that series goes five, they play tomorrow in the Bronx. They fly to Cleveland 
for the weekend. They will play games three and four Friday, uh, Saturday, Sunday. Game five would be back in the Bronx on Monday. That's right. Two flights, multiple flights, and then you have to get back to the original spot, four games in four days, two different places. That's a lot. That, But that's the breaks. This is You have the lockout, time's limited. You don't want to play many games into November. In particular, in Cleveland, guess what? They're going to have a bunch of snow by then. It's going to be freezing cold. Bronx, too. It's cold in the Bronx. I've heard it gets real cold in the Bronx this time of year. Yankee Stadium, Spike Lee bundled up. I'm sure he'll be at the game tomorrow afternoon. He'll find time uh, with his busy schedule. But that is the news of the day on that front. Now, Aaron Rodgers, a few years ago, told everybody to relax. Just relax. We're fine. And it was at this time the Packers, I believe, were two and three. People were worried about Aaron Rodgers. They were concerned that he wasn't going to have any success. They go on to win a division. They make the playoffs. So his statement of relax made a whole lot of sense. I can't say relax today, but what my word of the day to everyone, to every fan base out there, is one of 82. Whether you won a game last night, you lost a game, you you cried, you laughed, however you look at it in the National Hockey League, it's one of 82. The Montreal Canadiens, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Seattle Kraken, Los Angeles Kings, all these teams have lost already on the season. But you know what you did? You lost one of 82 games. Now, that one of 82, the one of, say, 50 losses, could be added to your resume by the end of the year. But you have a long period of time to figure out if you are a contender, whether you are a pretender, before we get to that point. I say one of 82 to one fan base in particular. And that would be to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Because Toronto Maple Leaf Twitter, Toronto Maple Leaf fans, Canadian fans in general, are dramatic. They are, how can I put this diplomatically? Irrational. They are temperamental. I could throw a lot more verbiage. I could throw a few more adjectives into the mix. But you get my gist. You get the cut of my jib right now. Lease fans, relax. One of 82. Does it mean more that you lost to the Montreal Canadiens? Maybe in your heart, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't. A loss to the Montreal Canadiens, a loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets is the exact same thing. It is. And I've grown to see that as I've lost fandom. When I drop fandom to do this podcast, as I view sports now way more and I enjoy it way more than I did when I was a fan. Losing to Montreal, losing to Columbus, exact same thing if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. No different. If you wagered with your neighbor who's a Montreal fan, you lost that bet, okay, that's your that's your decision. Wager with them on the Columbus game. If you lose money, you win money. It's the same money. Just is. You might go on Twitter and somebody makes fun of you because you lost the Montreal Canadiens, a team who will be in the bottom of the standings in the Eastern Conference. I agree with that. But in the grand scheme of things, 
When the Toronto Maple Leafs are chugging along when they're having a good season, the Montreal Canadiens are playing games where they're hanging tough like the Ottawa Senators of the last three to four years. All of that will be irrelevant. One game does not define a season. One game does not define a player. But you can look at players. You can look at situations and deduce things from one game. And what I see across the league, I have a theme. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But something, I'll look at the Leafs side of things here for a minute just to start the show. Would I be concerned if I was a Maple Leaf fan about Jake Muzzin? Yes, but seeing him play poorly last night is not a new development. I was talking about Jake Muzzin and having concerns about Jake Muzzin before the season started. If you're listening to me on a daily basis, if you're following my line of thinking, if you think, hey, that Noah guy, he knows a little bit about sports, which I think I do, then you're right there with me. Jake Muzzin didn't play much in the preseason. Jake Muzzin didn't practice a whole lot in training camp. So was it is it fitting that he played poorly last night? Absolutely. Is it an excuse? No. But what I'm telling you is there's a reason why he played poorly. I think there's a couple. Jake Muzzin's gotten injured the last couple of years. Jake Muzzin has lost a step, and Justin Hall is a terrible defense partner for whoever he's paired with. Justin Hall is a turnover machine, and something Leaf fans know all too well, I don't need to reiterate this to all of you, Justin Hall is not a top four defenseman. Justin Hall can be on your bottom pair, play sheltered minutes, in offensive zone situations where he doesn't have to make big decisions, and he's an adequate guy. He can be your 5-6, he can play your 12 minutes a night, and he can do that efficiently enough. But is he a guy that can log 20, 25 minutes? Absolutely not. And putting him with Jake Muzzin, who's lost a step, who isn't as fast as he used to be, who's had head injuries, now he's got a back problem. The guy's breaking down in front of us. I said I wouldn't be surprised if Jake Muzzin was on LTIR to Robodot Island in the next six months. And I, re- I keep that same sentiment. He's one bad injury away from his career being over. That might sound harsh. It's not harsh. It's the, it's the truth. It's brutal honesty. That's me to my core. But putting a muzzin with a haul, we've seen it. It's not a good – it doesn't work. It's like putting Nylander at center. It's, it's not – it doesn't work either. Now, all that being said, muzzin and haul sucked last night. Cost the team the game. Multiple goals – Jake Muzzin turned the puck over, couldn't get the puck out of the zone. Montreal went on to score. Caulfield's first goal. That's Muzzin turned the puck over, couldn't get the puck out of the zone. Caulfield scores. The last goal of the game. Hall turns the puck over at the offensive blue line. Goes back into the zone. Muzzin turns it over again. Before you know it, the unicorn himself, Josh Anderson, who had a great game, by the way, puts it in the back of the net. It's as simple as that sometimes. The fact that Toronto didn't look good, I'm not that concerned with that. It's game one. Team didn't play well. No, they didn't. No doubt about it. But did Tampa look good Tuesday night? No, they looked terrible. Looked terrible. 
But they were terrible in game one the year before. They lost 6-2 to the Penguins. History lesson. They lost 6-2 to the Penguins. They went on to go to their third straight Stanley Cup final. One of 82. You can deduce things from one game, but it's about looking at it and seeing it before. Austin Matthews. Am I worried he's going to have a bad season after one game? Absolutely not. He, I don't I don't think he played well at all last night. He had no impact on the game. He didn't have any great scoring chances. I think he scores at least two goals tonight. There's an early prediction. They got the Caps, who are on a back-to-back as well. Caps got to travel to Toronto. Charlie Lingering gets his first start as a Cap. Toronto will win tonight 6-2. Another prediction. They'll bounce back. Matthews has a point tonight. He'll look at McDavid, look at Pasternak, be a little pissed off that they had a great first night. He'll have a good night tonight. At least two goals, maybe he gets three. I'll start to the season. I saw things that I liked last night from the Toronto Maple Leafs in all that crap. One, Michael Bunting had a great game. It's one game, but he had a great season last year. And something for me from him is, He's had one season that's relevant in his NHL career. 26-year-old rookie should never have been nominated for the Calder, all that crap notwithstanding. He's a very efficient player. And he works great with Marner and Matthews. He does he keeps them from going into the corners. He's a workhorse type guy. He was one of the better players last night, truthfully. I thought he played fantastic. He was all over the puck. He scored the first goal of the season for the Maple Leafs. Loved his game. Bunting, good good start to your year. Obey Kubel. I liked his game. Nick Obey Kubel, who's with Colorado, in and out of the lineup. I don't I think he'll play. I don't I didn't particularly like any defense. I thought Morgan Riley played well last night for Toronto. I thought he had a decent game. And I'm not the biggest Morgan Riley fan, as you all know. There's enough people that are, I don't have to be. It's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite lines. Anytime somebody says something to me, are you a fan of this player? And I, I love getting that in conversation. I love having conversations about sports. Truthfully, I struggle with any really other conversation because I'm not that interesting. But if somebody brings up sports to me and say, "Are you a fan of this player?" I like. I love to come back with, "No, not really," but enough people are, so I don't have to be. Way. People know how to, people know how to respond to that. But that's a little guilty pleasure of mine. I love if you ever get that line, you know that we're that we're cool because I, I like throwing that out there. But I, I like that part. Riley played okay. Matt Murray. Matt Murray was not at fault last night. The Caulfield first goal, I don't know how many people are stopping that, quite frankly. Second goal, real nice shot. Anderson, that was a, a back, a, and even the Monahan goal, that's a bounce play, bad luck type of situation. So, so for, for Toronto, it's a bad first game. My big biggest concern that I can look at is Muzzin and Hall are your 3-4 defensemen. They can't be. So two things need to happen this season. Here's why you play 82 games. Rasmus Sandin has to become a top four defenseman, which he has the potential to do. I haven't seen it yet, but can he become a top four defenseman? I believe he can. He's got the tools. He's got the makeup. 
but he needs to show it. I'm not just handing him a role. I'm not going to say he's going to be a top four defenseman because that's presumptuous because I haven't seen shit yet. But does he have the ability? Absolutely. Asking Mark Giordano to fill that role is a recipe for disaster. It's another Band-Aid on a bullet hole. Mark Giordano, I don't think Mark Giordano is going to have a great year. I don't think Mark Giordano, that signing, yeah, you got him for cheap. There's a reason you got him for cheap because that's what he's worth. He's 39 years old. He wasn't a great skater to begin with. He's a fifth, sixth defenseman. He cannot be asked to do more. Period. End of story. No comma, nothing. He's, he's a place filler. He's a guy that, again, sheltered minutes. 11 to 14 a game for Mark Giordano. No more than that. He can't be asked to be a top four defenseman. So for Toronto, this year, I think they have one real option on this team to emerge as a top four defenseman. It's Rasmus Sandin. And the big worry is, is Muzzin going to be able to play like a top four defenseman by the end of the year? I have my doubts about that. I have my doubts about that because I haven't I see him deteriorating year after year and injuries affect your play. There's a reason we celebrate a Sean Monahan goal as much as we do. You know why? Because he never plays. He's always hurt. He's always got something wrong. And I feel for the guy. He had eight surgeries in one offseason one year. He's got a huge heart. He's a great competitor. I think they love him in Calgary. But eventually, you can't play anymore. We're not going to keep you. So you have to hope Sandine can emerge, but you might be looking for another one because I'm not sure Muzzin can, can hold up. Toronto's defense has been their issue for years. It's never up front. Goaltending, they seem to change every year. I, I still believe... Mark, Mark Giordano, Jake Muzzin are temporary fixes, are band-aids on bullet holes. If you're building a house, they are not the foundation. They're the, they're the wrapping you put on the screen door that's there for a little while until your door is, is put in. It's, it's a quick fix when you need something. They're a, they're a chocolate bar when you're starving and you pull into a to a Circle K. That's what they are. They're filling. They can do a job for a little bit. When you need a meal because you're starving, you don't turn to the chocolate bar. One game. Lisa will be fine. They win tonight. Montreal. A couple things. I liked how... Their youngsters played a lot last night. Kane Gooley is going to be a player. He's going to be a player. He had ups and downs last night, but that's how it, that's how it's going to be. He's a young defenseman. How he battled? He had a couple of long shifts where he was stuck out there with David Savard for long periods of time against the Leafs last night. But he battled through it. I don't think he played great. I don't think he played terrible. He was decent. It was his first NHL game. He played decent. But I, I love him. If I'm Mont- if I, I Montreal, I'm thrilled he's on my team. Honestly, Zerbach 
hard name for me to pronounce. It's X H E R A J. He was. I watched him at the World uh, Memorial Cup with the Hamilton Bulldogs. The kid's tough. Big. He was an undrafted player. Montreal scooped him up. He's 21, playing in the NHL, just freshly out of, out of the uh, out of the OHL. I like his game. He's a good good player. I, I, Montreal, to me, is going to be entertaining this year. They're not going to win many games, but I think they'll be in them. Like I said, they're going to be the pesky Senators where the Senators have a slow start. They lose a lot of games, but towards the end of the year, their youngsters are playing. They make it tough on a Tuesday night. It's 3-2 and not 6-2. They got Jake Allen. They got some veterans there. Josh Anderson had a fantastic game last. I mean, he he if he is motivated, the guy is just a different player. He always gets up for the Leaf games. He, he's had a great trajectory against the Leafs since he became a Montreal Canadian. But I'm sure Montreal is looking at this saying, can we get Josh Anderson to play consistently well? We'll get a haul for this guy at the trade deadline. Tell you a guy they won't get a haul for. I don't need a sample size on this. Mike Hoffman, my God. How the mighty have fallen or how the mediocre have fallen. I guess he kind of fell with that scandal with Eric Carlson that never really had an end to it. Did he do it? Did his girlfriend at the time do it? Was Eric Carlson lying? I don't know. Don't care. But he, yikes. That's rough. How many teams are taking that? He might be a Laval Rocket by the end of the year because he is bringing nothing to the table. Since becoming a Montreal Canadian, he's been a complete afterthought. And he plays like an afterthought. Uh, your ex Slavovsky. I thought he had a really tough first period. Didn't look like he was an NHL player. Slow, indecisive, pensive. But as the game got on, moved on, he got better. Made a good defensive play on Austin Matthews. Got an assist on a goal. Was in good situations. Positionally sound. He's not an elite NHLer yet, not even close. But something I think as a if you're a scout, or if you're just watching a game, you look for how, how a player is on the ice. And it's tough for Montreal because they have so many young players that you're like, okay, how does this guy look? Like Jordan Harris had moments where he's terrible and great last night. Because at times I'm like, wow, Horace Harris. But then I, I watch him later in the game. I really like him. Safoski, I would have took him first overall. I think it's the right pick. And again, if he plays 60 games for Laval this year and 20 as a Montreal Canadian, that does not mean it's the wrong pick. That does not mean he's going to be a bust. That means they think they're doing what's best for his development. Period. I, I thought he had, a, he had a decent game last night. No better, no worse. He had a decent game. But just to juxtapose that, last evening, 
I could I, I wanted to watch all the games that I could. I couldn't sleep. So I ended up staying up till about two in the morning watching I watched the Oilers come back against the Canucks. We'll get into that. But I also watched a whole lot of Kraken Ducks at eleven o'clock last night. Really entertaining game. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And yeah, I watched I watched to the end. Overtime. Troy Terry. Yeah, that, that was my Wednesday night watching the watching the Ducks against the what was it again? Ducks Kraken. Yes. Matty Beneers, two points last night. You look good. Matty Beneers, my Calder trophy winner. I, I like watching the Kraken. I'm gonna watch the Kraken a lot this year, but that story for another day. Anyway, I watched the Kraken and the Ducks. And some, before the season, we heard that Slavoski was behind schedule. And we hear that, well, Slavoski might play in Laval. Is he, is he, was that the right pick? Oh, my God, his development. Whole bunch of hoopla. Now, if you recall, back in July... I think it was July 14th, the draft, so uh, three months tomorrow. If you recall, on July 14th, the presumptive first pick in the 2022 NHL draft was one Shane Wright. And Shane Wright didn't end up going first overall, much to many people's chagrin. He dropped to number four to the Seattle Kraken. Savoski became the first Slovakian player to be taken first overall, went to Montreal. The number of pieces went before him. You saw Logan Cooley go to – you saw Logan Cooley drop. You see other guys. Shane Wright became – anyway, he became a member of the crack. And something you didn't hear in the preseason for some reason is that, well, should Shane Wright go back to the OHL? Is Shane Wright ready for the National Hockey League? Is he going to be a, a great player? Is he going to win the call? Did not hear any of that chat? Well, ladies and gents, I have a theory as to why. Number one, media don't are well. Number one, media are lazy and they don't like to cover stories outside of Canadian teams. That's just the truth. It's tough for people in the media to watch other games other than the Canadian teams. God, it's a chore to get NHL center ice. It's tough to go to watch Kraken Ducks. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's tough. I like to watch bad teams. Sacramento, Buffalo Sabres start tonight. Ottawa, 8 o'clock. Be watching it. But it's tough. But media members are lazy. A lot of these voters, Chris Johnston, only watch the Leafs, and then you go to bed. Which, sure, their sleeping schedule is a lot healthier than mine, but anywho. Number two reason why Shane Wright was never discussed, was never thought about. Maybe this guy is not going to be a productive first season. Maybe he should go back. Slavoski is a European player, and although we've adopted the European player and we know they're good. We don't have the Don Cherry old school method of, well, he's a European. He's soft. He can't play anymore. That's that's out to pasture. But I still think we have this thought. We have this deductive reasoning that if 
that we can't criticize a player born in Ontario. Slavovsky's born in Slovakia. Who cares? What do we know about Slovakia? Chara played there. He's gonna be okay. So you're gonna take a Slovakian first overall. That thought still exists. Shane Wright, a good Canadian boy, London Knight. We heard about him forever, but we can't criticize the Ontario-born kid. We can't talk about him because we're too lazy. But also, well, he's a Canadian and he's from Ontario. David is from Ontario. All these, all these great players that get taken tie in the draft are from Ontario. You never hear anything negative about them before the draft, after the draft. Just think about it for a second, and you'll know I'm right. Shane Wright is getting the Ontario tax, which in taxes, in life, taxes stink. You got to pay them. In this case, the Ontario tax is you get this force field, this vortex, where you do not get any of the arrows directed at you. You don't get any of the slander. You don't get any of the negativity because you have the Ontario tax. You're safe. These other guys, they got to pay the tax. You got to prove it to us. You got to make us earn our attention. Oh, Slavowski played like crap in the preseason. Okay. How did Shane Wright look? Oh, the game started at 10 o'clock. I couldn't watch it. Really? Really? Okay. Well, is he going to play this year? Well, uh, well, yeah, he'll play. Um, Shane Wright will play this year. Yeah. Okay. Is he ready? Oh, we couldn't tell you if he's ready. Don't know about that. But that that is my theory, ladies and gents. It's the Ontario tax where you get the benefit. You're not you are the beneficiary. You are collecting taxes from these Europeans, from people from New Brunswick, from anybody not from Ontario, because you have to be a good hockey player because you're from Ontario. Just outside the GTA, Shane Wright. Yet, if you think about it, why should Shane Wright be protected? Just think about this for a second, people. He dropped in the draft which can happen, but he did drop. He was first overall all year, then he ends up not going first overall. I think Connor Bedard's going to go first overall. I don't see him dropping. Just a thought. Did McDavid drop out? No. Eichel. Didn't talk about Eichel because he went second. He's probably from it. He's an American. You got to pay the tax. McDavid from Ontario went first overall. All positive. Never dropped out. Shane Wright, one of the rare Ontario-born players that went first overall and yet, or was supposed to go first of all, but didn't in the draft, dropped a four. Didn't even go second. And yet you don't hear anything negative about him. Nothing. Nothing. He threw a fit at the draft, at the Montreal Canadiens brass, because they did not take him. He gave them the look, the crook eye, the raised lip, however you want to describe it. Shane Wright was angry. And he let them know that they made a mistake by not taking him. And he looked petulant. He looked childish. He looked weak by all accounts. Maybe just my account. But my account is more important than their accounts. I think we'd all agree. Maybe you wouldn't, but maybe some of you jump on board with me. Any Hoosier. All those negative things. It's a lot of negative things. It's not a lot of positive. 
Didn't hear about a great training session this summer. Didn't do a piece on Shane Wright in Seattle. Didn't have anybody fly in. Martin Masters didn't go do a cover piece. Mark Rowe, anybody at TSN, anybody at Sportsnet didn't fly. Jeff American to do 32 thoughts with Shane Wright. God, these companies got to cover one team. It's a lot of work to cover one team. A lot of resources, a lot of money. But Shane Wright gets the Ontario tax. He avoids the bullets. He avoids the arrows. Good for Shane Wright. Played six minutes last night. Looked worse than Slavovsky. Slavovsky played 11-12 minutes. Not a whole lot. I'm not saying Slavovsky. I just, I just admit it. Slavovsky didn't play that well. He played okay. Shane Wright had five shifts. Played six minutes in two seconds. Six minutes and two seconds, first game of the season. You think you'd give him a little rope, didn't Dave Haxtell? Maybe the, the GM will say, hey, we got to play Shane Wright more than tonight, the second game of the season. I'm curious. I'll be watching some of it. King's cracking this evening. But we don't hear about all the stories. You don't hear about all the players that could be bad this year, that maybe shouldn't be playing in the National Hockey League. Funny. Six minutes for Shane Wright in a really a game that went to overtime. We're, and again, my only big point through all of this, just because you get sent back, just because you go play in the American Hockey League, just because you don't have a Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews type rookie campaign doesn't mean you're not going to be a good NHLer for a long time. But it's funny how some people get the negativity from the jump, get the negativity in your face, and others don't get any of it from these shows, from podcasts, from Sportsnet Central, whatever you want to call it. You don't hear much about it. You'll hear about it for the first time when this player is sent back to London. Shane Wright will be in London by November. I said that a couple days ago. I'm reiterating it now. I will come back to this conversation if I'm wrong. It's fine when you're not ready to play in the NHL. He's not. You could argue Slavovsky isn't either. Go back, play another year in junior. McTavish did. Had a great year. Made the Memorial Cup. Won a World Junior gold medal. Shane Wright. Didn't go to the World Juniors in the summer. Have your opportunity. Have your moment in Moncton and Halifax in December. I'll see you there. But you don't hear about that. But you talk about year over year, and you talk about experience. You need that time to get better. The word of the day for me and the – kind of looking at the first two nights of the NHL season is growth. I'm going to start with Cole Caulfield. Cole Caulfield's an excellent example. Yes, Cole Caulfield's older than Slavoski, older than Shane Wright. But last season, Cole Caulfield was sent back to Laval. Cole Caulfield was having a disastrous year. People in Montreal were worried that he was going to be a bust. And when he was sent down, it was as if, 
the emperor had fallen. It was just the pope had been assassinated. It was not good in La Belle Provence. However, sometimes sending a player back, resetting, having him feel it can lead to growth. From day one last year to day one this year, Cole Caulfield looks like a different player. Cole Caulfield looks better than he did at the end of last year. His skating ability, his confidence, his release were on full display last night. I see him score goals, but I also see a player that can be incredibly creative, that can be incredibly successful just by osmosis. To me, Nick Suzuki, who people know is a good player, but I think can still be underrated like Patrice Bergeron in Boston because there's so many more skilled players around him. Suzuki is quietly creative. He's a quiet, just a death nail, if you will. He does his work in silent. Real bad boys move in silent, and that's what I think Nick Suzuki is. But when you are surrounded by creative people, in life, in sports, however, whenever, I think it makes you better. It makes you a better person, a more, a better worker, however you want to use the example. When you are surrounded by people that push you and you're surrounded by people that are creative, you can do better things. If you're surrounded by negativity, if you're surrounded, you are what your surrounding is. If your surroundings messy, you're probably a mess. But if you're surrounded in a positive scenario with people that are believing in you, people that really care, that's going to be good. Suzuki's young, Caulfield is young, but to me Suzuki is wise beyond his years, and seeing him with Caulfield is a sight for sore eyes. Caulfield looks way more confident. He looks rejuvenated, and he looks like he's primed to have a big season for the Montreal Canadiens. I was beyond impressed. It was one game. I get that. But you can also look at body language and the way the guy is playing. Cole Caulfield is not going to be a guy that finishes with 16 goals this year. He gets 30-plus. That release alone is something that you can't teach. Montreal has a goal scorer. Montreal has maybe a number one center if you build the right team. Number two center for sure. If you build the Boston model, yeah, you can have a number one center. That's tough to do. Boston's one of the most consistently great organizations in hockey and pro sports over the last 10, 20 years. That's difficult. But if you have a potential number one center in the right format, you have a top winger that can give you 30 to 40 goals a year, which I think Caulfield can, and you got to wait on the defenseman. Is it Gooley? Is it Zerba? I think Gooley has the potential to be a, a guy that really does this. He's a physical guy. He needs to, I think, still grow into his body, you know, accept your physical game at the NHL level. You're not going to be Shea Weber. I don't think he's, he doesn't have a shot. But could he be Shea Weber-esque in his ability on the ice? I think so. I 
I saw good things from Montreal, but I saw growth from Cole Caulfield. Another word, growth, young player. Keandre Miller of the New York Rangers. I loved Keandre Miller last year, and he was having his ups and downs. On a team that was young, inexperienced, and they gave it their all against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And there were games where Keandre Miller was not ready for it. Turnover machine, indecisive, bad pinches, just structurally not a sound defenseman yet. All the offensive ability in the world, but had some had some qualms about him. I look at him the other night. He played 23 minutes. And yeah, it's night one, but he played against Tampa. So you could that was a big game for New York. I felt that they had some life in that game. Zabinajad was fired up. They wanted to win. They wanted to prove a point, whether it means anything to Tampa or not. It's irrelevant. It meant something to them. Keandre Miller looked great. Again, growth. It takes time. For Shane Wright, for Slavkovsky, Matty Beneers, Owen Power, Mason McTavish, all these players are pl- coming in at 19, 20 years old because they went for another year in junior. They went for uh, another season in college to have another season before they got to the NHL level. Troy Terry, he broke out at 24. It happens differently for different people. Alexi Lafreniere had his breakout moment last year in the playoffs where people said, well, this is a guy. That guy looks like a guy you draft hot. Yeah, he went first overall. Growth development is not a linear path. It's not the same for everyone. It's extremely difficult to play at the NHL level. Keandre Miller, to me, is going to be a star. Keandre Miller has all the potential to be a number one defenseman. And that's perfect if you're New York and you have Foxy and you have Keandre Miller. I'm not sure both guys can live in the same household forever when it comes to structurally, when it comes to money, maybe Artemi Panarin stone overboard, which I'd have no problem with, but I see the growth. I see the potential. He's still got more to bring, but the dude's a stud. Another guy growth that I need to see more of to firmly believe in, but something I credit, I credit coaches that start a season And they put a young player that hasn't lived up to expectations yet in good positions. Gerard Gallant gets my clap of the day, and he gets my that's how you coach of the day. How about Gerard Gallant putting Capo Caco on a line with Chris Kreider and Mika Zabinijad? Yes. Yes, Put him with two players who arguably were the two best forwards on that team last year. Mika Zibanejad, this isn't a debate anymore. This isn't, is he, Mika Zibanejad's a number one center in the National Hockey League, no doubt about it. Mika Zibanejad was right up there with Foxy as New York's best player in the postseason last year. He was that damn good. 
Also, the fact that this guy has an unreal motor, his compete level is through the roof. You talk about growth. When he started in the league to where he is now, it is night and fucking day. But when you have a player that, from all accounts, has underperformed, you haven't seen much from yet, and you see Gerard Gallant start his season putting Kako on a line with Kreider, to me, the de facto captain, and Zbigniew, the other great leader on this team, full of great leaders on the New York Rangers, it makes too much sense. Great coaching, and that line was unbelievable on night one. Keep them together. Kako played well. He was physical. He was involved. He nearly scored a goal. Zabinijad scores twice, including a shorthanded goal. This New York team is going to win a lot of games. But you want to see what Kako can bring. And if he's playing with these type of guys. He was taken second overall. And maybe he won't be second overall type impactful. But if you draft well enough, if you trade, if you scout well enough, and you find talent, maybe that player doesn't have to be put in that situation. On New York, Lafreniere still has more meat on the bone. But you look at it and you say, well, Kako isn't going to be a great winger. Could he be, could he be Michael Bunting? Could he be a guy that goes, gets pucks, and gets 25 to 30 goals a year because he plays with great players? Yeah, I think he can. If Michael Bunting can get 25, 30 goals, Capo Caco can. No offense, Michael Bunting. But I'm just looking at the, the development. Sometimes it's about putting the player in the right situation, and if the work ethic is there, it's forgetting about where you took him in the draft, and it's about how can he help us. How can, where can we slot him so that we're a better team? Not that our ego, not that our scouts feel vindicated because he was second overall and okay, he has to play here. Let's put him with our two best players up front, arguably, and see what he can do. And yes, I'll take Zabinijag and Kreider every day of the week over Panarin. Fuck Panarin, got stopped on the breakaway. I hate the way he plays. I'll never, I'll never enjoy Artemi Panarin. I'll leave that for the analytic nerds. But that's good coaching. That's intelligence. That's how you approach it. Maybe he'll, and you put him with these guys, and maybe he's a Michael Bunting, and he can transition into something more. But sometimes it's just how can. How can we utilize this guy the best? New York, this season is about winning a championship. It was last year, but it was it was more of we hope. That's past. It's about how can we win this year? How can our team get better? How can players improve? So maybe they're a bargaining chip. Maybe Kako's flipped to the Chicago Blackhawks. I don't know. I do think Patrick Kane lined up a New York Ranger. But how do we get better? How can we put ourselves in the best position? I'll tell you, you do what Gerard Gallant did. Kudos to Gerard Gallant because he deserves that credit. Good for you. What else? Oh, I guess 
have my mea culpa of the day. It's a one-day mea culpa because I don't think this is going to last, but I do have to give credit to David Krejci of the Boston Bruins. I have been open and honest about the fact that I didn't think bringing David Krejci back was a big move for the for the Boston Bruins. I don't think it was a smart move for the Boston Bruins, and I think it was a legacy bring back that was desperate by Don Sweeney and co there to try to win a Stanley Cup when you were on the verge of being outside of winning a cup for a long period of time. However, that is not always the theme that people like. Maybe David Krejci has a great season, although he played in Czech Republic last year and he was pretty terrible. Game one back in the NHL last night, they're playing the Capitals and David Krejci finishes with four points. For one night, David Krejci, you made me take one to the pills and I applaud you for it. Four point game is a four point game. I don't care who's it against. I don't care when it is. You couldn't have had a better start you couldn't have had a better return to North America, better return to the Bruins. They must be thrilled. Do I think that this is going to be a long extended period of time where David Krejci is a significant piece of the Boston Bruins? I do not. But when somebody does something that I predicted wouldn't happen or wouldn't be productive, I have to point it out. Other people that do these podcasts, do shows, they don't. I do because it's important to bring to remember what you said and point it out. That's, it's important to me. When you're wrong in life, you should, you should admit it. That's how you grow as a person. Never admitting failure, never admitting fault. If you're not improving, you're staying the same. And believe me, I do not want to stay the same person all the time. Although, I'm pretty great. Pretty great now, but I mean, come on. I need to eventually grow up and know that, you know, the mustache, long hair look is probably not what I should be going for. Probably not the optimal look. But that being said, I was complimented again on my hair today. You know, it was from a man, but I will say I don't care. People enjoy it. I mean, that's people enjoy it. Not many women have have approved of a few few not enough but a few it's always a few and never many but i digress credit to david Krejci and of course david pasternak four point night start the year tell you what boston i think bergeron's done after this season Krejci will be forced to be done after this season there's not there's another little prediction for you Marchand won't be done after this year, but he, a lot of injuries. I love Marchand, though. You, you will still have McAvoy. Your goaltending situation will be solved, but you're getting, an old, you're getting older. You want to remain relevant. You want to remain active in free agency where players will think about coming to your team. David Pasternak needs to be brought back. He's a unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. David Pasternak is one of the 20 best players in the NHL. I believe he was 26 on the list, which is absurd. Artemi Panarin was higher than Pasternak. They're not even fucking close. Pasternak's a way better player. I'll take him on my team every day of the week over Artemi Panarin. I'll take a tuna fish sandwich before I take Artemi Panarin on any team. I'll repeat that. I will take 
a tuna fish sandwich over Artemi Panarin on my team. Anytime, any place, tuna fish sandwich. And let me point this out. I don't eat fish. I hate tuna. I hate the smell of tuna. But Artemi Panarin is that stinky. I don't want it. David Pasternak, I'll take all the time. One of the best players in the world. One of the best goal scorers in the world. One got one of the best personalities. He's just a win. He's just a stud player. Bring him back, Don Sweeney. He's been making $6.6 million the last six seasons. Haven't heard one complaint about his contract. No begrudgingness, nothing. He was a great soldier, and he made your team better. We talked about taxes earlier. And when you know you might resign to a team that stinks, when you know that some of your best buds might be leaving, going, going off, might be going to live in Miami, but maybe Bergeron stays in Boston. I wouldn't. That traffic there, one-way street, and you could go live in the heat, but yeah, that's his life. I wouldn't stay in Boston, but maybe he'll want to. But if you know your buddies aren't going to be at the barn every day, Team's not going to be that good, and you might be going through a rebuild. You might have to fire your GM. Who knows what happens with the coach? I'd be wanting some more money. David Pasternak is a ten to twelve million dollar player every day of the week. Don Sweeney, pay the man, or you're going to let him get to unrestricted free agency because I think Boston's going to make the playoffs this year. So that means you're not going to trade him at the trade deadline, and he'll walk for nothing. That's a good solution. Teams, you can sign these guys. Just don't give them a don't give them a, tra- a no trade clause. Because I think some players will want to be traded. Because if you're on a bad situation, re-signing a player doesn't mean he's with you forever. It doesn't. Give him a new deal, Boston, because he'll be trade capital if you don't want him in the future. Because you're going through a rebuild, or he will be the face of your franchise going through a rebuild when all of your veteran, great veterans, Boston Hall of Fame players are gone. You need him. He's important. He keeps you relevant either way. He keeps you competitive or he keeps people coming to the rink if you're shit. Pasternak, I went to a Boston game last May. No bucket and warm up. His ability, his ability to... Talk to fans, flip them pucks, that means something. He connects with that, with Boston. He connects with fan bases, and he's also one of the best players in the world. Pay the man, Don Sweeney. I see a lot of these players, Tage Thompson, Matias Samuelson, all these players getting big deals. And yeah, those are two Buffalo Sabres that come to mind, but there's more. I get it. I saw today Travis Sanheim might get a long-term extension in Philly. They should. But I see all these guys getting... Pretty good money. David Pasternak's better than all of them. David Pasternak is one of the best wingers in the world. He's a better player than Mitch Marner. That's right. He said it. I'll take, again, Don Sweeney. Pay the man. What's the holdup? You don't want to give him eight years? Don't worry about it. You won't be there in eight years. You'll be fired in the next three. Come on. Come on, Don Sweeney. Give out those legacy contracts. You won't give out one to a player that's still really good. 
gave it to old man Krejci. You won't give a deal to, to David Pasternak. Just do it for the Duncan commercials. Come on. We want more. Don Sweeney. Oilers-Canucks. Almost didn't get to this game. 56 minutes in, just breezing through. It was a great, fun show so far. I mentioned last night on Facebook, I wrote that I it's only one two days into the season and I already have defensemen to rag on, which I do. I mentioned Muzzin and Hall earlier. I didn't even mention Evgeny Dadnoff, who's a winger for Montreal, but my God, that game-time goal, that play make me want to just take a stick and two-hand him. But then we go to Edmonton Oilers, who I'm high on. I like their team. No surprise, Connor McDavid down 3 nothing last night. Gets four points. They win 5-3. Dry Saddle gets three himself. And that's McDavid being McDavid. But Edmonton's like Toronto. They can score a lot of goals, and they got a similar issue. Their back end. Evan Bouchard. <laughs> I haven't been a fan of Evan Bouchard since the World Juniors, where he was terrible. As he was touted as being touted, sorry, as being the top defenseman on the roster. Well, Edmonton, it's night one. It is still one of eighty-two. That narrative continues and it will remain for a while. Evan Bouchard is not, and I'm gonna repeat that again, is not a top four defenseman. Just because you don't have a replacement that can play in that role does not mean plugging a guy into that role is good. Evan Bouchard is a great shot. He's got some offensive upside. His defensive game is horrible. His play inside your own zone, horrible. Situational awareness, pretty terrible. Not horrible, pretty terrible. Evan Bouchard has two has more flaws than he has has more cons than pros. Let's put it that way. Big shot, offensive upside, sure. He's def- he's a defenseman. And that's what comes down to it. At the end of the day for me, are you good defensively? Put up all the points in the world. Kale McCarr can play defensively. Yeah, he'll put up on maybe put up hundred points this year. Maybe he wins our trophy. What I do know is that Evan Bouchard defensively, he's not fucking Keelan McCarr. He's not Victor Hedman. He's not even Morgan Wright. He's not any of these defensemen that put up a whole lot of points. He's going to be average at best at that. He's not better than Darnell Nurse. Sorry for everybody who hates Darnell Nurse all of a sudden. Darnell Nurse is Edmonton's best defenseman. It's not, it's not close. It's not a two-horse race. Cody Cece is a better defenseman than Evan Bouchard. That's right. said it. Evan Bouchard is so frustrating to watch. And if you're an Oilers fan, it is still one of 82. You won the game. But I like to point out flaws because when I see a problem before it comes up, I like to be right. I like to see it before it happens. Edmonton. You don't have a whole lot of cap room. I get it. It's your own fault. Signing Brett Kulak and signing some of these defensemen that you got on the team to long extensions, I don't think is a smart idea. But, hey, that's just one guy's opinion. 
Kulak and CC and Ryan Murray, they're band-aids on bullet holes. For Edmonton to win a Stanley Cup, to really be in that position, they need a top four defenseman. That's not a maybe, that's a certainty. I watched the Kraken last night. I don't know if they have many. Would Edmonton want to bring Adam Larson back? Let me tell you, he wouldn't hurt this team. Adam Larson paired with Evan Bouchard and knowing what Adam Larson is as a defenseman, which is a defensive defenseman, wouldn't be a bad idea. I'm not saying you trade Evan Bouchard. I'm not saying you throw him overboard. He's not walking the plank, but he's certainly not He's not setting sail. He is more of an anchor. He can he might be an anchor on this blue line if you don't find somebody. If you don't find a life raft that I talked yesterday about Titanic briefly. If Jack can't squeeze if uh, if Jack can't find room on on the life raft, he's going to drown like he did in Titanic and that piece of shit of a movie. But Adam Larson coming back to the Oilers? Seattle is going to be sellers because they're not a good team. They're going to be fun to watch, though. But they're not going to be a good team. They'll have players they might sell. Jamie Alexiak, another guy I think the Oilers could look at. But getting a top four defenseman, priority. Bouchard, it's one game. I get it. One of 82. But when I see a body of work for a player for a long period of time, sometimes that's what you are. It's easier to be a caco and find a new pivot to find a new solution on a team when you have two line mates and you play the wing. For Bouchard, the one option you do have to kind of mask what's been a problem for you for most of your career, find a defense partner that is way better situationally than you are. See if Ken Holland can do that. He's going to need to if they're going to want to win. I mean, last night, good hockey. Carolina wins. Marty Netcash, one of my favorites, has a big game. But again, it's one of 82. Alex Ovechkin doesn't score a goal last night. Austin Matthews doesn't score a goal last night. Kucherov didn't score a goal night one for the Lightning. This It's it's one game. We'll see as it goes on what, what happens. Lots of games tonight. And, yeah, we got an interesting slate of games tonight. A few come to mind. I'll put it this – we'll talk about NHL tomorrow, as, as we will every every show. Tomorrow's going to be Big Money Friday. Uh, it's going to be a solo Big Money Friday. I'll go through every NFL game with you. I'm going to talk college tomorrow. We'll also get into the NHL. So a, a lot of stuff to chew on. Tomorrow, but also I'm, I'm saying this right now. As you all know, I've discussed this. Ottawa, uh, Buffalo is my team. They're not, I don't root for anybody, but I follow a team every year closely that's not any good. It's just something I do. I enjoy it. I watched fifth parts of 57 New Jersey Devils games last year. Buffalo is that team for me this year. It's going to be Kraken West. I might watch a lot of Kraken hockey this year. It's a sick disease, but I might do it. Tonight, Ottawa-Buffalo. I'm interested in this game. I'm intrigued in this game. I want to see Owen Power play. And Donnie Granato 
head coach of the Buffalo Sabres, got a extension. He's got got a two-year extension. He had two years left on his deal already. So he's got four more years in Buffalo. Smart decision. This is the start of it. They hired Kevin Adams, who I think's done a pretty good job because he had a just he a mound of shit on his plate. Ownership sucked with the Pagulas. They're still there, but you don't hear about them as much. You didn't have a head coach. You had a bunch of bad contracts, and you had a culture of losing. You got rid of some of that cancer with Jack Eichel. I'm not saying Jack Eichel's a cancer everywhere, but it turned out that way. You bring in, bring in new life with a guy like Alex Tuck, who's just breathed in Buffalo. He's accepted it. He enjoys it. You name Kyle Oposo captain. Love that. Not every team, your best player has to be your captain. That's a stupid that's a stupid philosophy. I don't agree with it at all. Your best player might have zero charisma. Look at the Maple Leafs. Your best player might just be a, 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 a guy. Sometimes your leader wants to be a guy that had to work. Kyle Oposo was nearly out of the league, had concussions, had injuries. He's battled back. He had a 20-goal season last year. You have Tuck, you have Oposo. I think you got leaders on this team in Buffalo. They're not going to win a whole lot of games. You got Craig Anderson. You got an old couple, no goalies that you're excited about long-term to start the year. But I'm, I think John Granado's built a good system. Jeff Skinner had a career year last year under Donnie Granado. So Buffalo, to me, is an interesting team because I'm going to watch them tonight. I will. Other games I'm following tonight. Panthers, Islanders. Two most interesting teams to start the NHL season for me. Florida and Calgary. Because of the shift, because of the players, because you're building in new cores. Both teams are projected as one of you know high favorites to win the Stanley Cup. I can't have either of them in my top three because I don't like cores the first season you have them to win a cup. Colorado, it took seven, eight years to find it. Tampa was together for a long period of time. Pittsburgh was built together for a long period of time. Historically in the National Hockey League, you need time to figure it out before you ultimately win. In Edmonton, Messier and Gretzky and Curry, all those great players were together a number of years. You had to lose to the New York Islanders a few times before you ultimately won the prize. So we'll see if either of these teams can have a whole lot of success this year, but I'm curious to see if it happens. Also tonight, Calgary against Colorado. That's another game I'm going to be following. Calgary's first game of the season, Colorado played last night. They lifted the banner. They beat the Chicago Blackhawks. You should. They're on a back-to-back, and but Cadre returns to Colorado. You got some history there. Should be a good game. Some good games, a uh, full slate of games tonight. No Jets tonight. That's why it's one thing I wanted to touch on before we pivot off of the National Hockey League. The Jets today, and I, I love Rick Bonus, and I can't wait to watch Rangers Jets tomorrow night. If I can't be there live, I'm taping this game, just to let you guys know in advance. Rangers Jets is so intriguing to me tomorrow night for a couple reasons. Number one, I love watching the Rangers play. But two, Winnipeg announced their leadership core today. 
and it did not include Blake Wheeler. They have three alternate captains this year, and they are as follows. Mark Shifley, Josh Morrissey, and Adam Lowry. So not only was Blake Wheeler stripped of the captaincy, he's been stripped of any letter on this team. This might create friction, but I love it as a content person. I love Rick Bonus. I love the Winnipeg Jets. This is awesome for somebody like me. Great. It could be an implosion. This could be a disaster. I don't care. I love every second of it. Soak it in, people. The Winnipeg Jets are trying to be relevant. And I love it. Also, Adam Lowry getting his assistant. I love that, too, because I love Adam Lowry. Such an underrated player. Really good player. Really good person. But Rick Bonus just lighting things on fire in Winnipeg. Blake Wheeler doesn't even have a letter. Oh, that is just such great fodder. That is phenomenal. That he doesn't even have a letter. And I have no problem with Blake Wheeler, but I just love this. But Shifley has one, but yet they're connected at the hip. Oh, that's just too precious. Only thing would have made it better if Shifley didn't. If Shifley, Dubois, and Wheeler all didn't have that would have been the better scenario. Give it to Morrissey, Lowry, and Kyle Connor. Oh, my God. But I love it. I love this from Rick Bonus and the Brass in Winnipeg because this is just so delicious to scoop up. They're an interesting team to follow. They got the Rangers opening night tomorrow night in Winnipeg. Should be fun. Should should be fun, that's for sure. But a good start to the NHL season. Really good start, and thank you to teams like the Winnipeg Jets. Thank you to teams like the Buffalo. All these teams that are just creating havoc early in the year are fun to me. Now, before we get to baseball, tonight it's Thursday Night Football. We got the Washington football team, otherwise known as the Washington Commanders, and the Chicago Bears. Early prediction, this will be a better game than the Denver Colts game that we saw last Thursday. On paper, it should be worse. You have the 2-3 and three Bears, somehow, against the 1-4 and four Commies, or Washington football team. Carson Wentz gets called out this week by his head coach. Ron Rivera was asked, why are the NFC East having all this kinds of success and you're not? He said, quarterback. He had to walk that back, and maybe he's trying to motivate Carson Wentz. I don't know, but it was a direct shot at your QB, who you went out and traded for in the offseason. You're 1-4. and four. You need this game. You're at home. Good news. Brian Robinson Jr., who was a Alabama running back, if you recall, week two in the preseason, he was involved in a carjacking. He was shot six times in the leg. He is going to start tonight for the football team. He'll make his NFL debut. Great story for Brian Robinson. 
So I'm happy for him. No Jahan Dotson tonight for the Commies. No Lance Thomas tonight, their, their tight end. So they're missing some weapons. Terry McLaurin will be there, however. Like I said, Brian Robinson will dress. You'll have J.D. McKissick. For the Bears, they've had no receivers to begin with, so the, they're, they're all active. David Montgomery might not play. They're starting running back. They do have Khalil Bear, who's, who's played extremely well. Tonight's line, it's a pick em. It's a pick em. My advice tonight's item. The Commanders are a better team than the Chicago Bears. They are. Carson Wentz, at this point, is a better quarterback than Justin Fields. I like Justin Fields more than, more, more than most people. Carson Wentz loses games that he should win. He lost last week, last year, week 18, to the Indianapolis Colts and the uh, sorry to the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Colts missed the playoffs and the Jags only finished with two wins. So they he loses games that he should win. That he should win in big moments and this is a big game because it's prime time. You're the only game on. Not to mention the Yankee game was postponed tonight. So in the states because they don't watch hockey, you're either going to be watching Temple UCF on ESPN, which I'm going to try to tape and watch some of that tomorrow because Kurt Warner's son, who's a freshman at Temple, plays. Did not know that until tonight. Temple's never on. I wasn't sure. They play UCF, who UCF's a fun team. I watched UCF a few weeks ago. Plumlee, their quarterback, is a dual threat. All kinds of all-purpose yards. My advice for betting tonight, I don't have a great feel for this game. I'm going to watch some of this game because it's football and because it's Thursday. I go with the with the football team tonight. They're a better team. I don't see them dropping to one and five. Matt Rule just got fired. If the command skins lose tonight, Ron Rivera will be fired this weekend. You could not go one and five, and you cannot lose a primetime game to the Chicago Bears. Fun fact, Ron Rivera was on the 1985 Chicago Bears team, so he is a Super Bowl champion with Chicago Bears. Wouldn't it be fitting if he got fired losing to the Chicago Bears? To me, if they lose tonight, he will be fired before they play their next game. We'll revisit that. We'll see if they win tonight. But honestly, it's an intriguing game. It's not, but it is. It's not an intriguing game, but for some reason it is. Because Justin Fields, Carson Wentz, Brian Robinson Jr., Washington needs to win. The Bears win tonight. They are 3-3 three and three after six games. The Commanders lose tonight. They are right up there in the driver's seat to get the number one pick in the draft. It would tie them odds-wise with the Pittsburgh Steelers to get the number one pick in the draft. Which is just absurd that those are the two teams that would have the highest odds. It's a pick em. I like the Commanders to win. But we'll see. We'll talk about it tomorrow. There's, this is an interesting Thursday night game. It is. But at the same time, it isn't, but at the same time, it is.
We'll be talking about it. We'll watch it tonight, of course. Major League Baseball. This is what we waited for. Not the rinky-dink wildcard series. Not the crap with the best two out of three and the new format and all that. We want divisional series. Best of five. Intrigue. Travel. No days off. Well, Phillies beat the Bravos in the opening game. Bravos come back yesterday, and this, what's interesting as a whole in the postseason is we've seen some pitching performances that have been fantastic. Started off, you look at game one, Shane Bieber in the wild card, in the wild card series. Fantastic. Just a phenomenal, just an excellent game from him. Joe Musgrove. Throws a gem for the Padres in the wild card round. Some some of the great pitchers in baseball we see. But then you go to Max Freed. Then you go to Justin Verlander. And you go through these pitchers that are getting lit up. And they are great. Scherzer. This is a trend. The great pitchers are not having quality starts. Freed surprised me. But then you have a guy like Kyle Wright bounce back and go six innings of just Pretty effortless, quick, easy baseball. Not mo- not much more that you can ask for from a starting pitcher. The Braves. You lose game one. It's a surprise loss to the Phillies. You have game two. You're at home. Three-hour rain delay. You know you need to win this game before you head on the road. You can't be down 0-2. This is what good teams do. This is what championship teams do. You're in a scoreless game. Zach Wheeler, who had a phenomenal season for the Philadelphia Phillies, Kyle Wright, who had a phenomenal season for the Braves, are pitching just back, just a dual pitching matchup. After six innings, Kyle Wright has thrown 83 pitches. After five innings, Zach Wheeler has thrown 54. He's dealing, he's having no problem. But the great teams capitalize on opportunities. So in the sixth inning, Ronald Acuna Jr., the third, is hit on the elbow with a pitch. Pretty nasty one. Looked incredibly painful. He, they look at him for a bit, but he takes his base. Then Dansby Swanson, who's been maybe the best defensive player in baseball so far this postseason, takes a walk. Hard-earned walk. He takes that. You follow that up with Matt Olson. Matt Olson, who you traded for because you let Freddie Freeman walk to the Dodgers, gets a RBI single, a play you could argue Reese Hoskin could have made, but it was a hard-hit ball. Matt Olson drives the first run of the game. A single. Not a home run, not swinging for, your, for the fences, not swinging your ass off, just getting a clean single because it's the playoffs and it's about scoring runs and finding a way to win. You follow that up with Austin Riley. An invaluable member of this team, one of the best third basemen in baseball, and one of the biggest reasons why they won last year. Austin Riley, infield single, goes down to third. Yeah, it's off the end of the bat, but they can't make a play. You find a way to make an impact. Infield single. Then you follow that up with Travis Darnot, one of the more underrated catchers in baseball. He's got great rapport with some of the best pitchers, including Kyle Wright, including Max Freed 
including Spencer Strider. And Travis Darno, who had three RBIs in game one, picks up his fourth RBI of the postseason with a single off Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler finished the inning. He only had 87 pitches, three earned runs. That's not a terrible start. It's not a perfect start. But it you do enough to rattle him. Kyle Wright didn't pitch the seventh inning. I might have let him pitch. But they win the game. I can't look past it with Brian Snicker's decision. But great teams find a way to win, period. The Phillies, to me, will repeat. And it's because of this. You can go Acuna, Swanson, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Darno. Those names have clout because we've seen them do it before. We've seen this team battle. Then you get A.J. Minter in the pen. You get Raciel Iglesias, who you picked up from the Cincinnati Reds, and you finish it off with Kenley Jansen, who I don't love, but we see we have seen him close big moment games before. When you have the pieces to win these games, when you have the right people in the right location, you can have success. Braves win 3 nothing. It wasn't based off home runs. It wasn't based off somebody trying to be a hero. It was about playing small ball and getting guys on base and finding a way to drive them in. Simple as that. You juxtapose that to the Guardians in game one. They hit into three double plays. Their one run of the game comes off a solo home run from Stephen Kwan, their leadoff hitter. Maybe don't. Maybe find a way to hit it the other way. Maybe find a way to get it by the defender. Matt Olson hit a rocket to Reese Hoskins. He could meet the play. Three double plays mean you're hitting, mean you're, just the way you're approaching it is not correct. The Yankees aren't some juggernaut defensive team. Garrett Cole is a good pitcher. Has never been a great postseason pitcher. He's never won a World Series. Got close in Houston, did not win it. The Braves find a way to win that game. The Guardians, who have no experience, who don't hit well, hit into three double plays. That's the difference between a championship team and a team that could very well be out of the postseason by Saturday afternoon. I picked the Guardians to beat the Yankees. It was a stupid pick. I'm sticking with it because I made the pick. But I look at it and say they can't hit anything. Stephen Kwan, Jose, Jose Ramirez isn't getting hits right now. The Yankees didn't even hit well, but you have errors combined with a team that can't hit Jack. You're not going to win many games. I don't think they get swept because I think Shane Bieber pitches another gem tomorrow for the Cleveland Guardians. That game, too, goes tomorrow, like I said, at 2 o'clock. Now, Padres-Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw is one of the best pitchers of all time. No doubt about it. Three-time Cy Young winner. He's won a World Series. However, five innings, six hits, three earned runs, is a Clayton Kershaw playoff start. That is his track record in his career. Average, mediocre, fifth starter in the playoffs. That is Clayton Kershaw's M.O. Last night, Clayton Kershaw being average, being okay in his start is not any way surprising. It's not out of the blue. That's Clayton Kershaw. 
You Darvish having the same start, not surprising. You Darvish having a great start to begin the wild card round was more surprising to me. These two guys having a crazy game last night where teams are going back and forth, home run after home run. Trey Turner has morphed into Barry Bonds in this series. Okay, I, I thought we'd see a lot of home runs in this series. But something that's not surprising is one of the GOAT pitchers of, of the last decade being a fifth starter in the postseason. I'm not saying Clayton Kershaw is a fifth starter, but in the playoffs, that's what kind of production he gives you. Five innings of three earned with six hits with a couple walks. You dress it up because it says six strikeout on the screen on Fox, but guess what? He didn't pitch well last night, just like you Darvish did. What you can say is you have this eclectic game where it's 3-3 and one two moments in the game that won it. Jake Cronworth is the hero last night, but it's not because he hit the two-run homer to ultimately seal the game. That is not my big take. That's my not my big moment from this game. My big moment is in the third inning when Jake Cronworth had a man on third and a man on second. Second on third, one out. And he has a long at-bat with Clayton Kershaw. It's back and forth. He's fighting pitches off. And he, you can just tell he knows he needs to get one of these runners to come in to score. He hits a ball to first base, but it's in the right position where the first baseman has no choice but to take the first base. He can't get him out at third. He can't get him out at home. And Jake Cronworth drove in that run. He had three RBIs last night. But it was not the home run to me that just signaled the game. To me, it was the RBI in the third in the uh, third inning. Yeah, yeah, third inning. That was the difference maker. That showed me that the Padres were playing to win last night and not playing to win a home run derby, not playing to win the All Star game on MLB 2K. It was about trying to beat the Dodgers. Your mentality in the past has not worked because the Dodgers in the regular season have won 90% of the games against the Padres over the last year, over the last uh, three years, sorry. That's a, that's a stat, by the way. The Dodgers have won 90% of their games against the Padres in the regular season over the last three seasons. Domination, homes. Guess what? The dinger party where you have to out hit them with home runs, not working. Cronworth setting a standard setting a new setting a new standard for this organization and how we approach this team that's postseason baseball that's how you win games when the other team and this might be crazy to say but it's the truth is more talented than you Padres got Soto got Machado who had a great game last night I also love that Machado's given it to Chavez Ravine and that Dodger crowd He's not afraid to throw it in there. I, I like that. He's a cocky, cocky guy, but good for him. He's got every right to be. It's Manny Machado. But, yeah, interesting stuff last night in the, in the world of baseball. But Jake Cronworth was the hero for me. This game has started. It is now 5 p.m. We got – 
Astros Mariners game two. Game one was incredibly entertaining. You had Jordan Alvarez hit his walk off home run off Mr. Tight Pants, aka Robbie Ray, after the Mariners had a big lead. Mariners have Luis Castillo, who pitched a gem in the wild card game, going up today against Framper Valdez, who has been one of the more underrated best pitchers in baseball over the last number of years. Just a constant, constant, great presence for the Houston Astros. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just put the it's a, it's an obvious statement, but it's a must win today for for the Mariners. Not to mention oh, some programming notes. If, if the Mariners win today, it'll go to game four. Obviously, you're guaranteed a game four, two games in Seattle. Game four, it will be an afternoon game. That'll push back the start time of the Seahawks-Cardinals game so that people can get to both events, which I think is pretty cool. But Saturday afternoon, we there will be a playoff game in Seattle for the first time in over 20 years. That game is a 5.07. So Saturday, I'm just looking up the schedule. we got Braves, Phillies, 3 o'clock start time. That's game four. be great game four. Astros, Mariners, game three. Then you got Yankees, Guardians, and you've got Dodgers, Padres. That's a great Saturday. Mixed with some college football, which is going to be phenomenal this weekend. But we're in the second inning. No score for Mariners and Astros. I'm looking early. Castillo. Clean first inning, Framper Valdez. Clean first two innings for him. Tell you what, it took a lot of guts for the manager of the of the Mariners to go to Robbie Ray in that ninth inning. I think it was a stupid decision. Quite frankly, you had your closer on the mound, you go to a starting pitcher. But he's made he made good moves against the Blue Jays. I think the Mariners will win today. I think it'll go back one one. Luis Castillo is one of the best pitchers in baseball. I have faith in him that he'll pitch well. He was a good addition. He pitched for them well down the stretch. I mentioned he pitched well in the All-Star game. But when I get home from doing this podcast, that's what I'll be watching. Got to love afternoon baseball. You get, you get to come home from you get home, come home from work and you have a baseball game on, a little 4.30 start time. And then tomorrow you have a 2 o'clock in the afternoon game. You get a little Friday, uh, Friday, you get Friday afternoon off. It's a nice little treat. Come home to that game. Not a bad way to start the weekend. And you get a four-pack Saturday afternoon, four-pack Sunday afternoon with football. My God. Plus, you got Panther Sabres Saturday afternoon as well. A little hockey matinee. Not enough screens, my friends. Not enough screens, but I'll try to do it with four. But it's phenomenal. I wanted to get to the winners and losers of the – and if I'll do this quickly, I'm not going to go as thorough as I usually do. So losers, I'll start with losers quickly. Losers of NFL week five, Arizona Cardinals, clock management, Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, get it together. You have, you have some talent on this team, but you're so, it's your coaching, your situational awareness is so bad. Kyler, maybe study, you know, look at the clock. Maybe you could study that on Madden this week when you're playing Halo, you got all that money. Losers, coaching and referees. I'm not again roughing the passer has been talked to death this week. It can't be this. It can't be flag football. The refereeing has been horrible on this. Roughing the Brady, as I, as I've called it, enough of it. We've seen enough as fans. We're sick of it. 
refs get it together. Coaching, my God. Matt LaFleur, Josh McDaniels, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, Brandon Staley, the king of the nerds. Coaching, decisions. I didn't even get into the Denver Nathaniel Hackett, how bad a coaching he's been. Coaching, horrible. Come on. But also, you could throw – there's so many few coaches that are winners. Right? I mean, uh, Mike McDaniel, loser, Miami. There are some winning coaching going on. Way to go, Robert Salah. Brian Dayball, obviously the biggest winner on the, in this category. But come on, coaching stinks right now. And also, loser, Green Bay. Your offense is not good. I don't – this back, this struggling and chunk little chunk plays – I'm not buying in. I said last week I wasn't buying into it. I said, this is the new way they have to play offense. I pointed that out. That doesn't mean it's going to be successful. You lost to the Giants and they didn't have a receiver. You have to be a loser. Has to be. Now you got the Jets. Red Hot Jets. Two straight wins. Coming into Lambeau. Should be fun. Winners. Speaking of Jets. New York football. New York football. Jets. And Giants have a winning record. Four and one Giants, three and two Jets. Dayball, Salah, Danny Dimes, Zach Wilson, Brees Hall, Saquon Barkley. Come on. Running backs, best players on these. Sauce Gardner, my guy, playing, just balling out. Tomlin's. Dexter Lawrence playing like his career's on the line for the Giants. Kind of was. New York football, clear winner, NFL Week 5. Another winner, Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill, three rushing touchdowns on Sunday in a New Orleans win against the Seattle Seahawks. Here's a note to Dennis Allen. I don't want to put you on the bad coaching list. Keep using them. He's not a starting quarterback. Do not put him in the quarterback position. But he can be a tight end. He can be a running back. He can be a wide receiver. He can be a fullback. Use him. He's on your roster. He's You're paying him a good chunk of change. Use his body before it breaks down. Yes, that's harsh, but it's also the way the game works. And finally, the final winner, Parity. Look at all the teams that are 3-2. and two. Houston is one, two, and one. They are still very much in the mix for the AFC South. Titans are three and two. Do we have faith in the Titans? I certainly don't. Titans, yeah, they might be leading the division currently, but the Titans also are the Titans. And yes, they were the one seed last year, but they're also the Titans, my friends. That guy used to stay for stay thirsty, my friends. The Titans will stay the Titans. They will all, always have a shadow. They will always have a worried look on their face because they are in the AFC South, and AFC South is a disaster. Parody. Somehow, the Dallas Cowboys are winning games with a backup quarterback. Parody, where you have the Atlanta Falcons covering five games in a row that get screwed. San Francisco, three and two. Three and two and three Patriots, two and three Browns, two and three Falcons. Three and two Jets, three and two Packers. 
Four and one Vikings, three and two Dolphins. Two and three Bengals, two and three Saints meet this weekend. Three and two Ravens, New York Giants, four and one, better record. Three and two Bucks, fraud. One and one and no, yeah, three and two Bucks. One and four Steelers, they stink. One and four Panthers against the two and three Rams. Look at that. See how many two and three teams there are? A lot of parity. Two and three Cardinals at two and three Seahawks this weekend. Something's got to give. Four and one Bills, four and one Chiefs. We might talk about this game tomorrow, ladies and gents. Four and one Cowboys, five and zero oh Eagles. Interesting. Then you got the two and three somehow Broncos against the three and two Chargers somehow. Not by their own competence or their own play, but look at all those two and three teams, three and two teams. They are so tight. A lot of teams playing each other this week that are two and three. Here's another note. Houston Astros just took the lead on the Seattle Mariners. Kyle Tucker with a solo home run, the right fielder. So a big hit for him. The Astros now have a one to nothing lead in the bottom of the second inning in Houston, Texas. I have my college football top 10. I'll run that through quickly. We're going to go through that tomorrow as well. Some great games this weekend that are going to be phenomenal to break down. College football top 10. Number one, Ohio State. They got the front runner to win the Heisman, C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr. They don't have their, two of their best three receivers aren't even playing yet. They're crushing teams, Ohio State. Number two, Georgia. Georgia keeps winning. They played more consistently well than Alabama recently. Number three is Alabama. Alabama nearly lost to Texas A&M, but Jimbo Fisher screwed that up on Sunday. Number four, Clemson, undefeated. They beat NC State, who remains ranked. They have beaten. They're going to play Syracuse this uh, in a couple weeks, who are a ranked team. They've beaten some good ranked schools. Has Clemson? They're a good team. Number five, Michigan, undefeated. I don't think they're as good as number five. I think they will drop, but they will not. They do play another team in my top 10 this weekend in Penn State. Number six, USC. Interesting game against Utah Saturday night. Should be a fun one on Fox. Number seven, Tennessee. Tennessee, Alabama this weekend. Something's got to give. Some team's got to win. Some team will lose. Number eight, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State against undefeated TCU this weekend. Spicy. Number nine, Penn State, as I just said. And you have number 10, the UCLA Bruins. Chip Kelly is back. Didn't have a whole lot of success in the NFL with Philly. Had a lot of success with Oregon. Give him some time in the Pac-12. They just might sniff a college football playoff this year. USC and UCLA play each other late, later in the year. I think USC will get by Utah this weekend. I think both teams will win their respective games until they get to that point. Maybe Oregon can scare UCLA. Maybe. This matchup used to mean something in college football. It's going to mean something again because both these teams can flat out play. That's my college football top 10. We're going to talk more college football tomorrow. We'll get into the NFL games of the weekend. We'll recap some NHL and the Astros Mariners game this evening.
Big Money Friday tomorrow, folks. We're already at another Friday, another week come and gone. But the NHL is back. Thursday Night Football. We got lots to digest this evening before I'm back talking to you all tomorrow. But until then, enjoy your evening. And for everybody here, just remember, sometimes it's better to just be to the point.